Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Good afternoon, everybody. Kyle Maloney again on the Savage to Sage podcast, and I am so excited to introduce our guest to you today. We have Mark Abbott, who is on the show with us today, and he is the founder and CEO of 90.io, which is an incredible software that we at Fullstack use. Um, It essentially helps startups and scale-ups be better as far as their efficiency um, and tracking. And this is not something that is new to Mark. Uh, He's been doing this for decades. Uh, And so we are so excited to have him on this podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks. So Mark, okay, I I went onto your LinkedIn profile. I uh, saw all of the things that you've been involved with for numerous decades now. Um, So founder and CEO of 90.io, which is an incredible tool that I hope we can talk about. As well, before that, you did a VTH. Um, which is helps entrepreneurial leadership teams build great companies. And uh, yeah, I love that. And then again, with it's called HLTX. How, how did you pronounce it? Humalytics. Humalytics. And I love the way that you captured the tagline here. Just a holding company that is obsessed with helping elevate productivity, humanity, and resiliency of small and mid-sized companies. What a powerful statement that is. Thanks. Yeah, so excited. Um, and then before that, you were uh, doing some doing some finance work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm just going to jump right off and ask kind of a deep question. The humalytics, you know, kind of statement there. The cross-section between productivity, humanity, and resilience. Can you like kind of describe that to me a little bit? Because like, those seems ju- they, they seem like juxtapositions, um, but the way that you've kind of defined it is intriguing to me. Yeah, the, you, you really need the Venn overlap, right? Venn diagram overlap on all of them because you know obviously if you just focus on productivity, then you know it's likely that you're not focusing on other things that are going to ultimately matter a heck of a lot, right? So we can be really super productive. You know, we can work 18 hours, we can work 21 hours or something crazy, right? But we can't consistently do that, right? And so ultimately, we're playing a long game, and especially leaders. When you're building an organization, when you're leading people, when you're building a company, you're playing a long game. And so if you just focus on on productivity, I think you're going to you're going to run into some troubles. So, you know, one of the expressions that I've actually... I don't know why I came up with this idea long, long. I mean, literally, I, I, I remember where I was when I wrote it on the board. Um, I was in New York City uh, running a, uh, a decent sized group that lent to and invested in companies. And, and I said and I wrote this line and said, you don't make money because you want to make money. You make money because people value what it is you do. Right. And so, you know, if you're just focusing on making money, you're focusing on an output. The reality is, is the outputs are what comes from the efforts associated with the inputs. And so ultimately, you know, uh, focusing on outputs, focusing on productivity in and of itself is not sufficient. So obviously, you know, organizations are comprised of a bunch of people and ultimately to really maximize um, and, I, and optimize, and I hate both of those words because they, they're, they're actually 
you know, sort of inadequate. But in order to sort of have long-term oriented success, right, you need to create an environment where, you know, people can can play the long game and, and enjoy playing the long game. Right. And so, um, so, so the humanity is really creating an environment where, you know, one plus one plus one equals five. And so the humanity part is really understanding, you know, our people understanding, you know, uh, how we all work together, understanding our strengths, understanding our weaknesses, understanding our interests, a whole host of stuff that I could dive into deeply there. But, Ultimately, you know, you want to create an organization where people just genuinely feel like they're thriving and they're and they enjoy doing the work. So that's that part. And then ultimately, you know, you can have an organization where it's productive. You can have an organization where people genuinely like working together or love working together. It's my preference. But ultimately, you need to be building something that can endure. Right. You need to be building something that can withstand the sort of getting punched in the face to sort of use a Mike Tyson um, phrase, right? Everybody has a plan until they get fun- punched in the face. And so you got to be playing the long game, right? You need to be thinking about resiliency is, is have we set this business up to go through a economic cycle? Have we set this business up to fall on its knees due to something that's even outside of the business cycle, right? And so, our, so ultimately, if you're I think you need to focus on all three. I find that um, whenever you have anything, if you're just focusing on a single thing, you're probably something important is probably being left out. And so I think, you know, if you're focused on being productive, you're focused on, 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 on creating an organization where people genuinely uh, are thriving. And ultimately you're thinking about the long-term game and you're saving for rainy days and you're making sure that you're not too exposed um, you know, in terms of customer concentration, or you're not too exposed to a particular technology or a particular vendor, you know, you, you, you do pretty well across all three of those dimensions. And chances are, you're gonna, you're, you know, you're gonna build something pretty substantial. Because the truth is, I hate to say it, but you know, most organizations, and we know this because we've literally have, I've coached hundreds, I've invested in over 100 companies. Um, you know, our software supports close to 7000 companies. So we're pretty close to right? The data, um, you know, most organizations are not particular, that particularly well run. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for it, but entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs, you know, they, it doesn't come with a playbook that's, uh, that's very popular, at least that's for sure. And, um, a lot of times, you know, people just, they just get to work on building. They have an idea, they get to work on building, but they, but they just sort of have never actually learned the fundamentals associated with, with starting a company and, 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 and building a company. And because they're so focused on, you know, product market fit, they're so part focused on getting revenue. They're so po- focused on, you know, covering expenses. Those things seem like things that they can, uh, they can sort of, you know, not master. And, and reality is, is that, you know, our experience is if you focus on really, you know, understanding where you are in that, in the stages of developing an organization, a company, and you focus on, you know, sort of mastering the things. Once you get product market fit, you know, that, that journey will be, it'll be easier, less bumpy and uh, a lot more rewarding, both, you know, emotionally and financially. That's amazing. Pulling back a little bit further there, if you were to say out of those three words, where do you feel like a lot of entrepreneurs would fit? as far as their strategy, their startup, all those types of things like, okay, if they're talking about productivity, humanity, resiliency, I would imagine that most 
um, entrepreneurs and people that you've worked with that you've coached along the way, they're probably going to look at productivity and profits. Is that probably yeah. be a fair assessment? Yeah, and 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 because it's easy, right? It's easy to measure those things, and and it's easy to get caught up in them and, and focus on them, and and they matter, right? Um, it's not that they don't matter, but um, but yeah, I think it's it, it's sort of like you know you're. Yeah, we can talk about the most recent sort of news that's out there, even come from, you know, I don't know if it's Davos or Davos, right? But, you know, that's coming out of there is everybody should be focusing on earnings and efficiency. Well, you know, the reality is, is that if you focus on efficiency and everybody else in your industry focuses on efficiency, you're just basically playing the lowest cost provider game. And, you know, and that's a game that lots of people can, can, can play and win, but it's also a game that a lot of people aren't well suited for playing and winning. And so, you know, and that's not the only game in town, right? And so you have the numbers force you into playing the efficiency game. Whereas, you know, if you, if you can focus on more than just the numbers and focus on really, how do you create value? How do you provide value? And, um, and oftentimes it has nothing to do with being efficient, it's, 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 it's with being effective, right. And, and, and telling your story and, and getting people to use the, the product or the service, getting them to see the value. There's an issue with just focusing on productivity for a lot of companies. Yeah, that's, that's very good. That's very good. Let me, let me back up a little bit here. Um, you know, like I, I was able to share a little bit of your bio, uh, some of the companies that you founded, but like, I really want to know kind of like what, what were some things that got you into creating or this space and specifically kind of creating 90IO? Um, kind of where did that come from for you? Yeah. So the very quick version of the story is, um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, in my, my, my earlier career, I started workouts and then I got involved in the leverage buyout business. And, um, and by the time I was 36, I was running a multi-billion dollar uh, business where we invested in and lent to companies owned by private equity firms. And so, you know, what happened is, um, you know, over the over the years, I became sort of fascinated with the art and science of, of company building, um, not only as a investor and a lender, but also I was I was the CEO of, of a company that did all that stuff. And so um, I've I've always, I've, since my twenties, I've been, you know, sort of a student of the art and science of, of company building. And when you get, you know, when you start to dig into all that, you also become a student of humans and, you know, what it takes to lead and coach and, 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 and develop people. And, and so you just, you just started getting all that, you know, sort of going down all those different, different rabbit holes or different areas of expertise. And, um, and so the, the, the genesis for 90 dates back to mid 2000 and mid 2000s, right? The double knots where I was sitting on a bunch of boards and um, I'd already been pretty successful in my career. And now I'm sitting on boards and I'm trying to help entrepreneurs, um, leaders uh, just sort of ma master the fundamentals. And, um, and honestly, I got kind of frustrated because I was like, I felt like they weren't listening as well as they should be listening. Um, and they weren't sort of executing, uh, on the things that I thought were really important. They're running the business. And, you know, I always had a perspective on being on a board, you either have a yellow or red or a green flag up on the CEO, obviously the green flag, you let them run. If there's a yellow flag, you can't let that stand forever. And if there's a red flag, you need to 
address the issue. And so, um, so, you know, I, I, I started on a bunch of boards. I won't bore you with the story of how all that happened, but you know, I was getting kind of frustrated and I was like, is it me? Is it them? I'm not a good teacher. And so I had this idea for writing a book called connecting the dots. And then, um, in my career, I've actually stood up three software products. And so I had a background with, was basically conceptualizing software products. And, um, and so I had this idea, write the book, create the software that makes it almost easy for people to master the, the fundamentals. And so, as I said, that goes back to mid 2000s. I was sitting on a board of a company that started to run on this thing called the Entrepreneur Operating System. And I discovered EOS and read the book Traction and thought, you know, this was actually a better written version of the book that I was planning to write. And so, um, I met with Gino Wickman, the founder, and said, hey, you know, um, this is really interesting. I'd love to join the community, become one of the coaches. Um, but, you know, part of what I've been thinking about is building software and to support the system. And would you be okay with that? And he said, you know, we tried that. It's not in our DNA. Um, and this goes back to like 2011. Um, and he said, so, if, you know, so you have no issues if you want to sort of build a company that, you know, provides software to support, you know, what the system that we're teaching people. So that's the sort of the short version of the story. That's great. You you made a mention of there, the arts and the sciences of building business. Is that a degree somewhere? Because I feel like it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, part of what we're doing ultimately in 90 is we're trying to help people develop, you know, earn that or, you know, attain that degree. So, (laughs) you know, we are, we are working on creating a lot of content to help people, you know, understand both the art and the science, breaking it into, you know, into, into, you know, nine core competencies associated with building a great company and, and then writing briefs and guides and, and and hosting webinars to help people see this stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, it's definitely part of, part of our, our mission is to help people get that degree um, and understand it a little bit better than I think it's understood. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that story and a bit more about your your background. And I appreciate you kind of flushing that out a bit further. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, when you started your career, did you start out as an entrepreneur? Um, where did that like did you start out starting your own company? I guess is the is the first question. Well, so it's interesting. So I had my own company in college. I had a painting okay. company. It wasn't very successful, but I had a painting company. And then when I came out of school, no, I I, I joined a bank, one of the biggest banks in the country at the time. And and the and the truth is is that I've had four. I've worked for four companies in my in my career, and every single one of them either attempted to fire me or fire me. I didn't realize that I was an entrepreneur, um, but I always was an entrepreneur. Um, and you know, and I, and I, and we, we're actually doing a fair bit of research on this, um, on what, you know, what, what kinds of entrepreneurs they are and what sort of the characteristics of entrepreneurs are. And, um, we've got some strong opinions and we're going to go see whether the research tends to, to prove them out. But, um, but you know, you'll, you'll find, a, if you look at me through some various profiling tools like Myers-Briggs is a profiling tool, right? So, um, you know, in Myers-Briggs, you have uh, four temperaments and one of them is called NTs, right? So they're big picture thinkers. And uh, you'll find a lot of entrepreneurs are, are NTs, uh, especially, especially sort of the innovative 
um, more innovative, more visionary entrepreneurs tend to be NTs. Um, if you look at me through the lens of Enneagram, I'm very conscientious and I'm competitive, right? And so, you know, obviously if conscientiousness is a pretty important thing. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to own and like every night you go to bed and you like, you own what's working, you own what's not working. Right. And so, and then, you know, competitiveness is pretty straightforward, obviously. Right. Um, and then there's another lens that we use uh, called Colby. Uh, which measures, you know, your, 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 your sort of your preferences for problem solving. And one of the four dimensions of Colby is called quick start. And basically quick start measures your comfort with, uh, with, with risk. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, a six out of 10, so I'm not super risk oriented, but I'm very comfortable with risk. And um, I'm also a fact finder. So it's, Colby's fact finding and follow through and quick start. And then, and then whether or not you're more physically or conceptually oriented toward problem solving. But the point is, you know, I've always been right. Those are preferences that you're, you're born with. And, and so I, I look like an entrepreneur. I acted like an entrepreneur when people wanted to fire me, they wanted to fire me because I was pushing against the status quo. I was questioning things. Um, and I was, I guess, headstrong enough to, not read the tea leaves and just say, you know, um, no, I disagree. And I mean, I can walk you through lots of stories, you know, even going back to when I was in training, right. Where they almost wanted to fire me because I refused to basically modify a report that said that this industry was going to have a lot of trouble. Um, and it indeed did end up having trouble, but they didn't like the message that my report contained. And so, you know, I try to be true to yourself and, and, um, and, 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 and so, you know, I've always had those, 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 those tendencies and sometimes it, they work really, really well for the company. And other times it's like, well, you know, you want to go left and we want to go right. And it doesn't make sense. I, thanks so for I the gave background. up. No, that's so helpful. So <laughs> for you, that's kind of, that had to be an evolution, right? That had to be an yeah. evolution for you to kind of come to terms with like, this is who I am. Like, I want to challenge the status quo. You know, my anticipation is that you wanted to make things better than they actually were. And did you have an audience to actually like help facilitate that? Yes or no. And, you know, that was kind of, so tell me about that journey, like kind of getting to that point. What was that like for you? Uh, getting to the, getting to the point where you were just, I mean, through your career, you were just kind of like, you're just kind of like, hey, like I'm an entrepreneur in an organizational framework, you know? <laughs> well, well, what's interesting is, um, is every single job I had, with the exception of the last two, ironically, right, um, really let me run. And, 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 and so when I was in workouts, they, they, they let me take control. I mean, I was literally 24 years old and I'm sitting on boards and I'm heads of credit, creditor committees and I'm, I'm doing crazy deals in order to liquidate a portfolio. I've got a strong point of view on what's going to happen to the price of, it was in the oil and gas industry. I felt that the price of West Texas Intermediate was going to go from 28 to eight. There's a whole host, a whole story behind that. Um, and I was, and I had conviction that if it did, it was going to have enormous impact on the value of the portfolio that I was managing. And I wanted to get the heck out of that portfolio before it went from 28 to eight. And I did that. I sold drilling rigs to China back in the eighties, kind of a thing, just crazy stuff, but they let me do that. Right. And then, then, then I, they let me go start a, 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 a co-start a team within the bank to lend to and invest in companies being bought by private equity firms. So they let me do that. And then I went over and, 
and, and was recruited to another uh, commercial to a commercial finance company that ultimately they let me run the, the, the that, that organization. And so, you know, uh, they they sort of, you know, you talk about entrepreneurs, right? So, you know, entrepreneurial people that are inside an organization. So um, so I, I kind of got to be an entrepreneur um, up until I became a senior partner in a private equity firm. And then all of a sudden, I, for the first time, I felt more like an employee and ironic, ironically. And, and, and so I won't bore you the story there, but, you know, I did not, that was not a great experience for me um, in part because I, you know, I had strong opinions about what was working and what wasn't working and things I wanted to change. And, you know, and so uh, ultimately, you know, we just agreed to, we, we agreed we didn't agree, but you know, the good news there, I'm very proud. You know, they, they did take a lot of the ideas that I believe were, 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 were worth considering and, and embrace them eventually. So, you know, I even feel good about that one. So, you know, Learned a lot, you know, uh, I, obviously I shouldn't say, obviously I have zero regrets. I mean, I am who I am because of the path I've taken. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't always easy to state the obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. When you think about your career, what were some of the things that, I mean, in, that you feel like helped shape you the most, um, as you kind of to where you're at today, like what were some of the things experience that were like, Hey, the reason why I do this, what was kind of the shaping moment for you regarding that? Um, well, there's, there's lots of stories that I can, I, I can share, but you know, one of the stories is when I left the bank and joined the commercial finance company, I went from being, so when I was at the bank, I was responsible for under, you know, bringing in the business and underwriting it. Right. And then, um, when I went to the commercial finance company, I became a new, new business originator and, um, and I lost the ability to sort of influence and the, the underwriting process and the positioning of all that. So, um, so there's, there's a story there where I I realized that, uh, I, I didn't like that structure within the organization. And so I pushed back on that. And I think ultimately it was a, it was a, it was a good thing. But while I was going through that struggling with my role and the positioning of my role within the organization, I still had to, I I still had to, you know, uh, prove my worth. And so, um, so I went out and was responsible for bringing in new business. And one of the things that I uh, decided to do was uh, collect all the data that the, we had generated over the years in terms of lending to and investing in businesses and to organize it and to use it to go out and, and, and sort of tell our story to the market. And so I literally created this database. No one else had done that. I just created the database and of all the deals we'd done. And then I summarized them in a way that I thought the participants, right, the equity, the private equity guys wouldn't mind us. So make it generic and not say the name of the firm or not say the name of the company, but genericize it enough so it wouldn't bother people. Um, When I started to share it, you know, I was a little fearful that, um, that people wouldn't, they wouldn't like us sharing the information, but what happened is they loved it. Everybody loved it. And so all of a sudden now, um, you know, banging on doors and getting people to meet with me went from hard to really easy because they want to understand how the market was performing and what the, what, 
what the deals were getting done and how the structure of the deals were being put together and pricing and all this other stuff. So um, long story short, um, I started, you know, in 1989, I started building this database on deals that were done and I used it for a whole host of purposes. Well, fast forward to today, you know, one of the things that's really super important to us at 90 is, 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 is helping people collect and see their data. Right. And cause we believe data should be a superpower. And so, um, so that's a story of how, you know, I start, you know, and I, I literally, I hired one person just to manage the data over a while. Right. So I got pretty deep into building databases that I thought would help us not just in terms of marketing, but ultimately being able to assess what deals worked, what deals didn't work, right? Having a lot of data that gave us enough transparency to really be able to learn lessons and, 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 and grow from those lessons. And so, uh, so, so data, as an example, has been something that's been a part of my career, like I say, since the 80s. That's awesome. That's a great story. That's, and it fits so well within what you do with 90. Yeah. So I, I'm familiar with EOS. I'm familiar, you know, just newly to 90. Is part of the setup to bring in consultation uh, with 90 as you have users? I mean, I would imagine that's part of the packaging system that you guys can actually just acquire that consultation through, or does the 90 kind of, and this is for our viewers, Nine, you can kind of give a description of 90, but then also kind of the add-ons to it. I'm just curious about that. Yeah. yeah. So, so when I joined, so as I mentioned, had the idea for the book and the software, um, and then um, traction, the book was, was better written than I would have done hundred percent sure. And, um, and, you know, part of Gino's brilliance is he's really good at simplifying things and, and, and organizing it in a, in a manner that's, that's easy to comprehend and sticks. And so, you know, when I joined the EOS coaching community, which I want to say is somewhere around 2011 or so, maybe 2010, a while ago, you know, part of, uh, what I loved about the community was, you know, there, I was like coach number 35 back then. And today there's almost 500 coaches around the world. And, you know, we were 90 was at first EOS compatible software, but then ultimately we had a bunch of coaches who really wanted to make sure that the, all the terminology of EOS was in 90. And so we became EOS licensed software. And, um, there's a story here, right? And and the story is, is that, uh, you know, we are in the software business. We are not in the services business and we're not in the coaching business. And, um, and so we, you know, I'd say 40% of our clients come from the coaches. And so, and we don't want to compete with the coaches, right? The coaches are great at, at that. That's what they love doing. And we're here to support the coaches. And in fact, we have clients who come to us without coaches and we encourage them to go find a coach because, uh, because it's just very difficult to be objective about yourself, right? There's the old expression. You can't read the label if you're inside the jar. And, um, and it's even harder if the, if the, if the, if the, if the top, if the top screwed on hard tight, right? And so a lot of people really, I mean, almost everybody, uh, and I, you know, virtually every single person would benefit from a coach not everyone can afford a coach. And so that's why, you know, we have a lot of clients who don't have coaches, but um, what we do is, you know, we encourage uh, people to get a coach. Now what's happened is EOS, um, uh, you know, we had a license agreement for them with them for years. 
and they realized that, uh, or they came to the conclusion that they needed to also be in the software business. Um, and so a couple of years ago, they basically came to us and said, Hey, we'd love to figure out how to, you know, either buy you guys. And if we can't figure that one out, we're probably going to build our own, our own, our own software. And so, um, we couldn't come to terms. And so they ended up deciding to build their own software. And then, um, they felt that software was getting uh, strong enough where they could pull our license. And so, you know, we knew when they first approached us, it was the summer of 2020. We knew that um, that was their intent. And, you know, so we had to figure out how to, how to, how, how to, how to transition from our, you know, our relationship with them. And so, so we started to prepare for that transition. And so, so, so we started to support other business operating system, uh, coaching communities. And so there's a group out there called Pinnacle. There's another group out there called Empire. There, uh, there's a focus group called Fireproof that focuses on, on legal firms, um, law firms. And, uh, so we started to expand to support other, other systems. EOS, um, eventually actually after they canceled our license came back and said, you know what you guys, you know, you, you've done a great job for our clients and, and our coaches really appreciate, you know, your, your software and your support and the way you take care of them and their, and, and their clients. And so we've actually, um, at the end of the year, we entered into a new license agreement, multi-year license agreement with, with the OS. And so, so we support several different, um, operating systems that are out there. And then, yeah, we, we strongly encourage people to, to get coaches. Um, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help people understand the software and how to use it, but when it comes to the real true coaching, right, really understanding yourself and understanding sort of, you know, where you are and, and understanding sort of why you may be struggling to get better at certain things. Um, you know, coaches are so much, so much, so, so powerful. And so, uh, so we, we really try to keep a nice bright line between what we do and what the coaches do. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. That really makes yeah. a ton of sense. I really that. That's really helpful. Awesome. Let me talk briefly about, you know, you've alluded to a lot about, you know, the importance of knowing self, the importance of knowing hmm. people's gifts around you and tapping into those. You know, like when you're running at your company, how do you find people that get it that are going to be part of your team? Um, what are you looking for? Yeah. So, you know, back to the art and science. Um, Back in the eighties, or is it early nineties? Actually, late, late, early, early nineties. Um, I got introduced to a guy named Brad Smart, who is the author of a system called Top Grading, and um, and so um, real early on, you know, I, I became sort of one of his whatever you want to call it, mentees. You know, I've been studying the art and science of hiring people since Brad sort of really sort of you know brought me close to, to all of his technology in terms of doing that. So, um, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of how we hire, um, first things first is, is we deeply believe structure first people second. So you need to really, uh, nail structure your organizational structure. And that includes sort of the areas of expertise. And then of course you have the, the levels, the layers of organization. So, um, and we have very, very sort of strong points of view on how to structure an organization in terms of sort of, if you will, the columns and the rows, right? If you think of it that way. And so we get really clear on what we're looking for um, in terms of uh, uh, a person. Um, and uh, that comes out of the structuring process. 
So, um, so number one is get structure first, people second. Once structure is 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 is, is strong, right? Then what you're looking for is um, people that you can trust, right? Trust has three dimensions associated with it. Um, this is the model, the framework that I've that that, that I've sort of I wouldn't say I've created, but I've studied a lot of trust trust systems. And so this is the one, this is the framework that I, that I developed for lack of a better term. Um, there's three dimensions, there's character, there's competency, and there's connection. You know, character is the, is the straightforward stuff, right? Obviously it's whether you, you know, it's whether the, the individual, you know, is, is, is a good human being, right? Whether they're, whether they're, you know, being direct with you, um, whether, you know, whether their intentions are, are, you know, are aligned, right. And, 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 and clear and whether they're, they're, they're telling you, you know, telling you the truth or not kind of stuff, right? Competency is actually relatively straightforward as well, right? So you understand what competencies are associated with a particular position. And then once you understand competencies, you're actually, I mentioned earlier, a tool called Colby. Competencies, once you get that clear, um, said, okay, these are the roles and responsibilities. These are the competencies that are associated with that particular position. You can go and use tools like Colby that helps you understand not just whether or not a person has the experience sets, but their problem-solving proclivities, their problem-solving preferences are aligned with, with that seat. So the way I like to think about it is every single seat has a shape um, and a size, the, the shape has to do with the problem solving preferences associated with it. So like, um, you know, an accountant needs to be very good at fact finding. They need to be very good at follow through as an example. You don't need high risk accountants or else you can run into stuff like, uh, uh, uh you know, go, go back to, um, 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 uh, Enron, right. And, and, and there's another story, right. And then, and, and so we actually have a, a profiling tool that helps make sure that we're putting square pegs into square holes, right? And so really early in the process, we make sure that the people we're interviewing are going to fit well. Because if you think about it, an accountability chart or responsibilities chart or an org chart, right? As I said earlier, it's a collection of layers and a collection of columns. And every single one of those is, a, if you look at it, it's, it's a pegboard, right? So you don't want to shove you know, square pegs into round holes, because either the peg's going to crack or the hole's going to crack. And so we're very intentional about making sure that we're hiring people um, who we think are going to thrive in that particular seat from a solving problems perspective and a experience perspective, right? Call that collectively competencies. And so we're pretty good at that, right? So that's the second dimension. The third dimension is connections. We, you know, it, when you look at connections, um, and by the way, you can read about all the stuff on my personal blog, which is avid.work about trust and, 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 and the three dimensions of trust. But when you look at connections, you know, it's a, it's about a bunch of things, but one of the things that we, we tend to talk about a lot in the business world, in, in particular in the world of EOS and all the other um, business operating systems is core, our core values, right? And so core values are an extraordinarily important thing and making sure that they possess the kind of behaviors that we all at our at, at, at our company believe are really important for us to, to 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 have a great culture. So, you know, we're the G tribe, right? So G stands for get smart stuff done. So are they, you know, are they just inclined to to want to be that team? We're very team oriented. We come together and break the part all the time as a collective of people. And so team uh, resiliency, believe it or not, is really important for us because we run relatively fast. 
we're going to fall down. Everybody falls down. We deeply believe that optimal failure rates around 15%. So 15% of the time, right, we're going to fail. And if we fail, right, let's just learn from it, grow from it, get back up, dust ourselves up and, 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 and move on as opposed to uh, ruminate and, and, and wallow. It's probably a harsh term, but you get what I'm saying. Right. And then, you know, inquisitive, you know, we're, we're fascinated by the art and science of, 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 of organizations and company building and business building. And so we want, we want people who are fascinated as well. So that's that better and better version of the best version of self. We want people that, you know, that, that, want to become better versions of themselves um, uh, and grow and, and learn how to you know, continue to sort of expand how they matter. And then we have another, but our last core value is the extra mile. And so we're actually very focused on creating a culture that um, has, uh, I don't like the term work-life balance. Uh, I, I, I don't know how life includes work, right? You can't self-actualize without work. Work is how we matter. And everybody wants to matter. And so, um, I don't like the idea that life and work are like, they're, they're not connected. They're they're, they're So I don't like work-life balance as a, as a phrase, haven't come up with a better one, but you know, we're very, very clear with people about, um, we, we sort of say our culture is a, is a culture of agreements, not expectations. And so, you know, we, t- every single person that I interview knows that depending upon your le- level in the company, you're going to give us a good 40 to 50 hours a week. And, um, every now and then, you know, you may have to go to the extra mile. And then if that happens, you need to know that we don't want you to burn out. We want you to thrive. We want you to enjoy. We want you to play uh, the long game with us. And so if you, if you do go the extra mile, you know, then, you know, take some time off. We don't track, you know, pay time off. Um, and so, but you know, it's really important that everybody understands that when you join us, you may be asked to go the extra mile. We don't do it very often but that's a part of part of our culture. And so, you know, we're really, I think we focus a lot on making sure that people fit our culture. Number one, obviously they've got the competencies, shame on us. If we're hiring people that we can't, um, we can't let go and run and, and, and play their positions within about three months. We have a whole thing on onboarding, right? So within three months, you should be able to, if you can't, sort of execute the roles and responsibilities associated with your, with your seat within three months. It was either shame on us or shame on you because, you know, because we don't want to micromanage people. We believe in coaching and, 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 and helping people thrive, but we're also uniquely different that, you know, what way I want to solve a problem, the way you want to solve a problem will be different. So let's not, let's not do that. Right. So, so I think we're pretty good at, um, at, at those, the three dimensions of trust and hiring people that we can trust. Right. But one of the things, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just core values. We're really focused on hiring people who genuinely love what we're doing. They, 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 they find what we're doing fascinating. They're really interested in joining our company as, 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 you know, I, I almost don't want to share this, um, but I will, uh, cause trust is, not hiding things. And we're deeply believe in, 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 in being transparent. You know, if, if someone says to us that, you know, all, you know, you guys, your, your salary is here and your, and the salary is here. And, and it's like, and so if you just nudge your price up a little bit, you win, it's like, well, 
we don't want to win on price, right? We want we want you to join us because you genuinely want to be a part of our company. You genuinely love our, you know, you either like a lot or attracted to or 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 love, you know, what we stand for as a company and how we make the world a better place and where we're going and the opportunities we provide our people. And you've met enough people here where you're like, this is a culture where I think I could genuinely thrive. That's a really big thing for us, right? We 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 really focus on hiring people who we think are gonna love love working at 90 and, 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 and view 90 as, you know, part of, right. One of the, one of their, you know, most important relationships. Yeah. There's so much that you said there. I love the aspect of playing the, playing the long game. Um, I think that's, I think that's just good and imperative of like a healthy structure. Um, I think that that's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that having the organizational system set up in a place where people can plug in and play accordingly, to me, I would imagine is probably uh, the area that would may need the most improvement within organizations, just from just a guess. Um, But it seems like you have that locked in as one of the most critical components of as far as figuring out uh, what we need and where, you know, where people are going to play and then plugging that person in there. Would you would you agree with that? Is, would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I th- so I'm writing a book, and it's taken me. I started it really in the, almost in the very beginning of COVID, and and we're still, you know, it's it's still being worked on um, for interesting reasons too, right? So, but it's called Work Nine and um, we're I believe we're coming out of the seventh age of work, which is the age of information, and moving into the age, eighth age of work, which is the age of understanding. And ultimately, someday we'll get really lucky and we'll have you know um, a significant portion of of, of 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 society right around the globe uh, feeling like they're they're, they're genuinely lo- they love what they're doing right. So the age of self actualization. And um, so I believe part of the move from the seventh age to the eighth age is we're moving from the age of management to the age of coaching. If you think about it, right. Um, the, the, what's the difference between a coach and a manager? And, um, I won't, I always ask this question to a bunch of people, but I won't, uh, for the expediency purposes, I'm just going to give you the answer. Right. So, you know, a, a coach would never, let's just use American football. Um, as an example, a coach would never put a hundred pound inexperienced person in at the center position right in the, in the, in the NFL or in college, you know, yeah. what would happen? Yeah. Demolished. Yeah, they'd get demolished and it's not just them, right? It, you know, they'll probably step, you know, they'll, they'll get hit. You know, people, they'll get hurt. It's likely that, you know, someone's going to run right through and maybe the running back or the quarterback or someone else is going to get hurt. Right. Maybe the, maybe one or two of the, of the, of the, of the other linemen get hurt because they're, you know, trying to do two jobs right now. Um, obviously, you know, it's demoralizing for the team because they're, the team's not going to win with that big of a weakness sitting on the, you know, on the field. And so the reality is, is that, you know, a coach just won't do that. Right. They just won't. And, you know, and that's like one Oh one. And so, and and part of the reason why a coach won't do that uh, now we move over to managers, right? Well, this one's between a coach and a manager is a lot of managers hire people where they're not quite sure, you know, they can do the work, but you know, it's not the end of the world because guess what they can go and they can actually do that person's work. It's called micromanaging, right? And actually, no one likes micromanaging. 
the, the employee doesn't like to be team member doesn't want to be micromanaged. And of course, that's not the job of the of the leader to micromanage. And yet, you know, it happens all the time. And so, you know, we're, we, so, yeah. So one of the things we really try hard to do is not to hire people that um, that we need to micromanage. And so, you know, one of the things that we do uh, after we hire people is we have an onboarding process where. Um, every single month we, we, we meet with them. We talk about how things are going. We actually use our quarterly conversation tool to manage this, right? So we talk about how they're doing in terms of core value. We talk about how they're doing in terms of the roles and responsibilities. We look at it through three lenses. EOS's lenses are get it, one at capacity. So do they seem to get it? Do they want to be really good at this particular seat in all those roles and responsibilities? And do they have the capacity to succeed? Um, mental, physical, emotional, and time span capacity to succeed. And we literally, every single month, what we do is we check in the team member and the, and the, and the leader and talk about how they're doing. And they lead, and they also talk not just about how the team member's doing, but we talk about how the, the leader's doing. How's the leader doing as a leader and how's the leader doing as a coach? And that conversation takes place every, every month until such time as, right, as, as it doesn't need to take place monthly, it can take place every quarter. But if it continues to take place every month, then there's probably a problem. And so, you know, we let people know right off the, right off the bat that we're going to have these monthly conversations. We're going to talk about how things are going. You're going to talk about how you think you're doing it. We're going to talk about how we think you're doing. You're going to talk about how you think we're doing. And we're going to talk about how we think we're doing. It's all very structured. And so, you know, so, you know, hopefully within three months, plus or minus, it's like, nope, you're ready to run. We're just going to coach you up from here and, and do everything we can to avoid micromanagement. Cause like I said, it's in no one's best interest. That's great. That's great. Well, Mark, I, I can't thank you enough for all of these. Uh, there's been so much that you've shared and on such deep levels that uh, it's been, I've just been wanted to uh, take it and receive it. And um, I imagine that all of our viewers are going to receive it and take it as well. Uh, so thank you for it. I just really You're appreciate welcome. all yeah. of your insights here. Yeah. Yeah. This is my great. pleasure. Um, if you were to like the last question, and then I would love for you to kind of share, uh, kind of if people wanted to get connected with you, how they would go about doing that. But the last question is, uh, what sage advice would you give to a, a new entrepreneur um, or a business owner that's just launching? Just launching? There's, I, I believe there are four types of entrepreneurs. And um, we're actually, you know, working on the research. Um, we've got, as I said, almost 7,000 in our system right now. And we don't have the language perfect. Um, but, you know, there, there are sort of accidental entrepreneurs who just end up owning something or starting something because this is, this is how they provide for their families, right? And so they're really business people who are, you know, responsible for their revenue and expenses. Then you have lifestyle entrepreneurs who have decided to build a company or do something because frankly, they don't want to work for anybody else. And, uh, and they want to be control of their lives and, um, and they want to sort of, you know, sort of, sort of play the game their way. Um, then you have legacy builders, which are, you know, the, like the, like the likes of the Hewlett's and Packard's of the world, right. Where they're like, Hey, I love this industry. Boeing would be similar. There are other, lots of industries, right. Lots of well-known companies who fall in this category where they come in and say, Hey, you know, I think we can build a better product. We can build a better company. Um, and so you got those. And then finally you got these crazy visionaries, right. That believe that the, that they see the, some, a need in the future, um, for something uh, different. 
and and ultimately they're sort of playing this this longer, more visionary oriented game. Regardless of what which one of those you are, ultimately my deep belief is that you want to build a company that sur- that will survive you, right? And so you want to play the long game, regardless of whether which one of those you are. Now, what happens is you need others, right? You need to surround yourself with others, um, and you need coaching, in my opinion, right? But ultimately, you you know you want to find um, people that complement what you have if you to build this this thing that will will endure, right? Obviously, you got a current game you, you, you're, you're playing in terms of product market fit or, or generating enough, co- enough income, revenue, whatever, to, co- to cover expenses. But sooner or later, you need to start playing a longer and longer game. You need to start having a point of view about, you know, where do we want to be in a year? Where do we want to be in three years? Where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in 10 years? And I believe that if you want to build a business that can survive your leadership, if you want to be a, play the steward, you need to have a strong point of view about where the organization needs to be in at least five to 10 years. And so it, it, for a whole host of reasons, including if you want to sell it, if you want to sell it some, as a guy who's financed hundreds of companies and invested in, you know, a hundred plus companies, people are going to want to know what's, you know, where's the company going? What's it's going to look like in five, six, seven, ten 10 years? What's your point of view on why the market's going to look the way it's going to look? What's your point of view on why you're going to be better than, than others in the marketplace? And so, you know, ultimately, you know, going back to a theme, uh, you know, you need to become better and better at playing the long game um, or at least get, you know, others around you that can help you play the long game and build something that can endure because it's in everybody's, you know, ultimately I deeply believe you want to, what you want to have is high trust relationships with all of your stakeholders. Your stakeholders are your employees. They're your, they're, they're your senior leadership team um, um, members. They're your vendors, right? They're your, they're, they're your strategic partners. They're your investors, um, it, and, and it includes society, right? Um, and so you have seven stakeholder groups and ultimately what you want is high trust relationships with every single one of those stakeholder groups. It's not about, are my employees more important than my customers? That's a bunch of bull crap, right? The reality is, is that no, you shouldn't be making your customers more valuable than your employees. You shouldn't be worrying about that stuff. It doesn't matter. What matters is you have high trust relationships with every single one of your stakeholders. Back to resiliency. When you do, you will get hit in the head. Right, someone was going to punch you in the face, and when you do, if you have high trust relationships with your stakeholders, they'll they'll help pick you up, and and help you brush off, and and they'll be there to support you as as you as you move through that moment. And so, play the long game, build high trust relationships with every single one of your stakeholders, and um and and just you know, uh, and there's a lot in that trust stuff, right? So, but just you know, and and enjoy it, right? In in you know if you know. And, and and recognize, like I said earlier, you know, failure is inevitable, right? It, you know, like I said, optimized failure rates are 15%. There's a lot of research on it. So, you know, build that organization that has high trust relationships, play the long game, enjoy the game, um, and, and, and go and surround yourself with people that you, that you genuinely enjoy working with. Yeah, that's great, Mark. That's so great. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that. Oh, people are going to want to watch, want to watch this episode for sure. Um, if people wanted to get connected to you, what's the best way to do that? 
So I, I, you know, obviously, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, but I mean, if you really want to, if you, if you, if you really want to sort of connect with me and talk about something, mark at 90.io is my, is my email address. And, and, um, I have an assistant who helps, helps me manage my calendar. So just know that that's a thing, um, which is pretty important, but, uh, yeah, either through LinkedIn or, or, or email me and, and, uh, and, and we'll see if we can find some time. Great. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time and your willingness to be on the Savage Sage podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.